You know our slogan around here is better practice, better life. But we're taking this belief to the next level. And we've recently announced the creation of a new association. It's called the Best Practices Association. Our association celebrates the mindset that is better practice, better life. This mindset celebrates time, healthy living, personal growth, clinical excellence, and impacting the lives of your patients and your team through intentional leadership. In fact, we are the work-life balance experts in dentistry. The BPA will coach independent dental practices like yours to thrive by sharing best practices and operational habits, behaviors, systems, tools, and insight that lead to profitability and sustained growth, and you can still have a life. So if you're a dentist that wants to surround yourself with great thinkers, let us help you create your own version of Better Practice, Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo. Hey guys, welcome back to another awesome edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. My name is Kirk Barron and I am absolutely loving this. I want to say thank you guys for showing up and just listening to the podcast as it continues to grow and I couldn't be more grateful. And what you can expect from me from us is to find the best speakers, influencers, authors out there to share some great information to help you create a better practice and a better life. I hope you're inspired by showing up and learning every single today. And we are going to do exactly that. I have a new friend. His name is Ryan Vett. He wrote a great book called Cracking the Millennial Code. Now, I have just started it. It is fantastic. And what he offers is great advice on how you can understand the other generations if you're an employer, if you're a teammate in a dental practice, and it is fantastic. He also points out what your blind spots might be. So hope you enjoy the episode and we'll see you guys soon. Hey guys, welcome back to the Best Practices Show podcast. I love this stuff. I love it so much that I'm on the ever-present search, always present search, to find new influencers, new thinkers, new authors, new owners in dentistry to help you guys improve your thinking and create a better practice and a better life. And today I have Ryan Vett on who is a very interesting guy and I'm just meeting him for the first time and you're going to see he's got a great story and he's also part of a very important organization, actually owns the organization now called the Speaking Consulting Network. So Ryan, thanks for being on, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, you don't even know what we're going to talk about, but we're going to go there. So, and uh, uh, today, you know, there's a lot of topics I want to cover with you and this, this will, this won't be the only time I have you on, but you know, you also wrote a great book called Cracking the Millennial Code. Now the topic itself, the title of the book itself sounds like a, I mean, it's an awesome, awesome study. And uh, I want to talk about that, but let's go here first. I always like to start with a little bio on who we're listening to. So if somebody's showing up for the first time, they've never heard your name, tell us your story, a little bit of your bio. Absolutely. I'm your quintessential serial entrepreneur. It really, truly did start with a lemonade stand, as ridiculous as that sounds, uh, in the suburbs of Chicago where I grew up and quickly learned about product diversification and 
uh, different product lines I could introduce to that. Ended up growing that into a line of trading cards that morphed into a neighborhood newspaper uh, that morphed into a multinational marketing firm. And that was kind of my foray into entrepreneurship. And by the age of uh, 15, I was running a company that served uh, over 25 countries. We did marketing and advertising for them. And I, I've had the opportunity since then to primarily be in the software world, uh, software startups, as well as a little bit of the medical device, which is how I dip my toes into dental. And I'll, I'll share that in a little bit. And uh, have worked with companies that you know, had whopping excess of a whole five figures all the way uh, through running uh, and leading nine figure organizations. So I've really had a, a great deal of experience in the startup and entrepreneurial and leadership world, which is part of why I wrote the book, because so many people were uh, just frustrated with millennials. And I always heard millennial as if it were a curse word uh, muttered down the halls in, in organizations I would consult and work with. But how I got into dental, I'll share that briefly, was uh, I worked with a medical device company years ago. Uh, and it was the same exact time that my wife was in dental school at UNC Chapel Hill. And so we both kind of entered dentistry, I like to say, at the same time, uh, different paths, my my path on the medical device and uh, supply side and my wife's on, uh, obviously, the clinical side. And that's really where I, I fell in love with the dental industry and everything that it has to offer. Yeah. Well, one of these days, I'm just going to come down and study how you do what you do, because my resume looks nothing like yours. That is quite the resume at uh, this stage of the game. That's awesome. I got to ask you, so I'm just going to pretend to be a young entrepreneur. I'm 28 or 30 years old. Ryan, give me your top three pieces of advice. You know, what would you yeah. tell me as an entrepreneur going out in the world? I think the first thing that is most important and people don't often start here is what are your priorities? Uh, priorities are different than your goals. Your goals are, hey, I want to have this much in the bank account, or I want to be on the cover of this magazine or be interviewed on this news station. And all those goals are great, but priorities are really, what are those things that no matter what you're doing in life, whether you're being the best uh, you know, toilet scrubber you can be, which I have owned cleaning companies and I have scrubbed plenty of toilets in my day, or, or you're running a, a multinational company, what are those things that never change? And for me, it's uh, pretty simple. I have it on my desk here. It's faith, uh, family, friends, and then everything else in that order. And so business falls below all of that. And I think if you get your priorities straight, you can do just about anything you want. And I, even in my own career, when I've seen uh, things not go the way I had hoped or uh, encountered failure, it's often because those priorities are not in the right order and you start to get off kilter. So I think that's probably the, the best advice. And then the second would be surround yourself with people. I always have three people in my life. Um, I'll say it really quickly, but the first is uh, my, my co-runner, someone I'm running alongside of, someone that's in the same stage of life going through the same things. Second person I always have is uh, the forerunner, the person who's run ahead of me, who's been there. It's a mentor. And then the third person I have is someone that's a couple steps behind me because I often find that as I'm trying to coach or mentor someone else um, that's coming up and is a little bit younger or trying to get into a new career path, I learn more from trying to figure out um, and, and coach them than really anything else that I do. So those are the two pieces of advice, your priorities and make sure you have the right people around you. I love that. I absolutely love that. If you guys have been listening for four minutes, you've already gotten a ton of value. That is awesome, buddy. I really appreciate that. So um, 
my gosh, I got a million more questions for you now. So I want you to talk about the research behind the millennial code. And it's funny that you say that because I got myself in trouble and I'll just be completely transparent. You know, we like to joke about the different generations and I learned that it's not a joke. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's really one of those things you have to respect across lines. And uh, I made a joke one time at the Hinman dental conference and I got a scathing review and I called the woman and she said this, and if she's listening, she'll remember this. You got to be careful about calling out my generation like that. We are not all like that. And you're putting Mm. me in a bucket. I work hard. I want to be good at this. And you're implying that we're lazy and that is not fair. And I think it's irresponsible on your part. And she was right. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It was a big learning moment for me. And now I'm like, okay, let's learn a little bit more about this. But Ryan, take us on this journey. Why did you write this book in the first place? Like, tell me more. Yeah, so I've been speaking for years. And the reason I, I've always liked public speaking, which people say is crazy, but it's just something I, I've always enjoyed. And one of the first opportunities I had was to speak to a group of 30 real estate agents that were just struggling with this new rising generation. I was about 17 at the time and they wanted me to talk about social media. I had like a couple thousand Twitter followers at the, at the time and Twitter was only like two years old. So that was a lot then. Uh, I still have about that same number if that shows you anything, <laughs> but uh, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter is not my, uh, my, my platform of choice. But regardless, they, they saw something and they wanted me to talk. So I talked in, about all this and the word millennial was being thrown around. And I'd heard the word, but uh, didn't know a whole lot about it. Well, that as many speaking opportunities do, leads to another, leads to another. And I started talking about these generational gaps and people were hiring, uh, you know, the millennial to talk about millennials and what our problem was and why we're lazy and why we're entitled and all these other stigmas that are associated with it. And if your friend from the Hinman's listening, I, I was generalizing there, just wanted mm-hmm. to, to qualify that. Um, but, uh, you know, all those different things. And so I started to put together a program, which I called Cracking the Millennial Code. And I'll never forget, I was in California presenting uh, the course for the first time. And I usually try out courses on, on smaller groups for the first time. And there was probably 20 people in the room. It was a small study club. And a, a woman in the front started tearing up. Now, I don't often have emotional courses. Mm-hmm. And she comes up to me at the end and she said, I've never understood my daughter and granddaughter so well after hearing what you shared. And that's what really started to unpack this idea of I need to put these things in a book because my research uncovered uh, you know, it, the title has millennial and it. it's really not about millennials that much at all. In fact, probably if you look at the page count, maybe only 20 to 30% of it's about millennials. The rest of it is this intergenerational connection, and how they interact and how one generation influences the next generation. And the reality is whether you're in uh, a corporate office, a dental office or at home or in or your neighborhood, you're having some of these interactions with people from different generations or that were raised by parents of a different generation, which is something I talk a little bit about in the book as well. Uh, you could be a millennial born to boomer parents or Gen Xer parents, and yeah. you're going to be a different millennial than uh, you know your person, your fellow uh, coworker or classmate. So uh, I get into all of that in the book, and we can talk more about it uh, in this conversation today as well. Yeah, I can go back to that just a little bit, Ryan. So if I'm a, let's just say I'll play the 60-year-old dentist or even the 55-year-old dentist, like talk about the why it's so important for me to understand these generational things. And I'll even throw this into the hat, like hiring is harder than ever now. So like, I think you're understanding, I mean, look at me, I just asked a question, now I'm answering it for you. (laughs) Like, I want you to talk about the why as an entrepreneur, why this is so important to know this 
you know, this information? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things for me even going through this is we all have blind spots. And so as, as I was doing research, of course, I knew all the stigmas that millennials, uh, you know, are, are known for. In fact, the back cover basically has a, a list of the things that millennials often get uh, dinged on as far as uh, their flaws. But what I quickly found was we are the way we are because of our parents and our parents are the way they are because of their parents and the way they were raised. Mm -hmm. And so I think when it comes to hiring and trying to understand the different generations, it's not that they're entitled or want more money uh, with millennials. If you look at even millennial spending habits, and I, I break that down in the book too, millennials have only known subscriptions and everything that they have is on subscriptions. Debt has been easier for them to obtain than ever before. And so they, they know that their parents have a nest egg and at some point it will be usually a wash. And so they're not as afraid of debt as the previous generations, but they have a lifestyle they have to keep. They have a thousand dollar phone that they buy every single year. That's a hundred dollars a month that other generations haven't had. Then the phone bill on top of it, that's another hundred, hundred and fifty dollars. So now you have $250, then your internet, another hundred. So $350, all of a sudden millennials, just for what we consider to be basic necessities, uh, have a much higher cost of living than previous generations. And, and that's just one of countless examples uh, that, that I have. But when it comes to hiring, uh, understanding some of that and how they're looking at it is important. The second thing is millennials actually want to be mentored, really? uh, which is one of the biggest things that people, uh, especially boomers, not calling boomers out, but boomers generally don't feel that millennials have any respect for authority. That comes partly from how boomers were raised, believe it or not, and how they view the authority uh, relationship with mentors. But it also has to do with the fact that a millennial is never going to ask. Um, and that's something that is very different. But almost always, and generalizing here, but almost always if a boomer comes up to a millennial and says, hey, I want to mentor you and put you on this path, uh, a millennial is going to not only say yes, but welcome that with open arms and be more loyal to your your company. That's why... Uh, often you see in the last five to 10 years, interview coaches are, are telling you to give a career path or give a career plan to uh, a millennial. Say, hey, you're going to start here, but in two years, you're going to be here. And in three years, you can achieve this or go that way and, and give them this this journey so that they feel that they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Um, and, and so that's, uh, you know, a lot of little nuggets there. And I, I didn't totally string it together very well, but those are... Those are some of the things you can think of. Oh, I was totally tracking you. And actually, that is so that is such good insight to understand that millennials do want to be mentored, but they're not going to ask for that. That's huge. Right. I noticed that. And so you have to, because I always complain or have complained, like back in the day, I told people, I want you to mentor me. I want to mm -hmm. learn from you. I want to come to your office. And and then also, I completely agree, agree, agree with the clear line of sight. We use that a lot is like, giving people a clear line of sight and not only how this is going to help you now, but maybe in your career path and further down the line, instead of the, just the right now, I got, I'm okay. hearing my mom in my ear when you're talking, because my mom always says this and she's really sharp. She's like, listen, just be open-minded. Cause I was complaining to her one time about what my kids were listening to. And she's like, listen, hmm. you got to go into this understanding. She goes, remember my mom thought Elvis was the devil. You know right. what I mean? I was like, that's 
oh, you're right. Yeah, she did think Elvis was the devil. You know, so like we've got to just be open to understanding like these things that we might think are bad. They just aren't or just they're just different in this respect. And um, I love what you're saying. Gosh, I have now I have like 30 more questions. But what do most people get wrong when they're communicating? So if you're a boomer, like where do I fundamentally make my mistakes when I'm talking to a millennial? So millennials are self-centered. Um, and that is a, again, generalization, but they, they've grown up in this world where it's all about creating their brand and their image. So you have more individualism in the way someone dresses and the way that they view themselves as an identity, the way they present themselves online. Uh, and so this is very important to a millennials, their, their identity, their image, their persona. But interestingly, and this is what a lot of people get wrong, boomers and millennials are almost exactly the same in a lot of their characteristics when it comes to that. Boomers have the same thing. Boomers didn't want to be like their parents from the silent generation. And so they were the first uh, two car, uh, two income households. They were the ones that ended up raising latchkey kids with Gen Xs. But if you ask a boomer, you know, what is it that you do? They're going to give you their fancy, you know, I'm the vice president of this at this company. And it was going to be a big company like Sears or, or one of the notable companies, whereas now a millennials saying, hey, I, I work at the startup. Um, and, and so you have very similar ties between the two. And so when a boomer is talking to a millennial, um, first of all, you have to remember the millennial is still younger than you are and not experienced. And uh, professionalism is very different to the millennial. So that that perceived respect that you would have expected in corporate America in the 70s and 80s um, when that boomer was uh, in their you know early to mid career is not the same way that the millennial is going to be treating you from the way they speak to you or the way they interact with you. You're going to get casual texts, short emails, doesn't make it right, but that's what you're, you can expect. And so you're going to get some of those things and uh, you, you do have to be gracious. Uh, instead of worrying about changing the millennial, you have to kind of come in the middle and help bring them to where they should be. Right. Yeah, that's so cool. And then can you speak on this, the Xer, like the Gen Xer? So how is that different? Because now you're throwing, it's complicated enough for me. Now you're going to throw another layer on that. How is that different than what you just described? I feel so bad for the Gen Xers. They're kind of the middle child. They're forgotten. It's because you have two really strong generations, uh, the, the boomers and the millennials, both very large generations, the two largest generational cohorts that have been identified by kind of anthropologists and sociologists. Uh, and so Gen Xers kind of fall right in the middle there. There wasn't a whole lot of conflict in their upbringing or anything monumental in their upbringing. There were a few things, obviously, but not like the boomers experienced and not like the millennials experienced. And you can get into to some of the events that happened during those individuals' lifetimes um, and what really shaped them, how it viewed their, uh, shaped their view of authority, of country, of religion, um, and how all of that factored into even some of the things you were saying a minute ago with the music that you listen to or the clothes that you wear or the movies that you watch, what's appropriate to see on in a newspaper, even though those hardly exist anymore. Uh, but even that has shifted over time. Uh, and so I, I think Gen Xers, what you find generally, not always, they were latchkey kids. You have such a massive generation of baby boomers that most Gen Xers' parents are baby boomers. However, most millennials' parents, you can't tie it to one generation. There's a lot of young Gen Xers who had kids right away uh, because they didn't want to be like their parents that waited. So they had kids young and they were having um, 
kids at the same time, the last batch of the baby boomers were having kids older because they focus more on their career. So you've got boomer parents and Gen Xer parents both raising millennials, which creates a whole nother interesting dynamic. Uh, and you can subdivide. And I mean, you can go, you can go really deep, really fast. Yeah. Well, I'm all in on this. And like, I'm one of those people that likes to figure out the puzzle. And I'm going to encourage you guys to check out the book. I just, I got it. Christina gave it to me and she's like, you got to read this because I'm going to want to crack the code. Where do I start in cracking the code? You know, I tell people to read books all the time. They don't read them or sometimes they read them, but like, give us the mini course on cracking the code. Where do I start, Ryan? I think the biggest thing is first figure out what shaped your identity. Um, and shaped your personality and your generations. And again, and I say this multiple times in the book, and I'll say it here, they're generalizations. Your own influences and experiences, even the region of the country in which you were raised, all of that has an impact on who you are and uh, you know how you interact with other people. But I would say first understand uh, what has shaped you and what your expectations are. Uh, again, respect is so important for baby boomers. And we've been talking about boomers a lot. Um, it's not always the boomer millennial conflict, although it's talked about more than many. But re uh, respect is this really important thing. It's really important for millennials too, but it just looks differently. So being able to understand and even articulate uh, what it is that you find most important or valuable uh, enables you to be able to really bridge the gap between all generations and not necessarily be more lenient because there there does need to be that bringing along that that growth that professionalism that that comes with these younger generations but help help get them there not just automatically tune them out or you know modern terms cancel culture them uh, if something uh, doesn't go the way you think it should be going because the world is changing um, it doesn't mean that all change is good but you have to figure out that that happy medium between infusing what's been good and what's been working for years and should be continued on and, and what things are, are changing because there's a new or different way to do it based on technology culture or any other number of factors yeah, I love it. So I'm compiling a list already now, and we're going to fly right in the eye of the hurricane and you help us decode this, okay? Because typically when I'm engaging and talking to a dentist, one of the challenges they have is, uh, and I've got a couple of subjects listed here, work ethic and loyalty. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's like a hot spot, like work ethic yep. and loyalty. What would you say to help us understand those discrepancies um, that sometimes people feel? So... Millennials are actually extremely loyal. Uh, if you look at millennials and causes and, and some of these things that they attach themselves to, uh, we'll, I'll use something uh, hopefully fairly neutral, but a puppy rescue. Let's say a millennial just gets hooked on uh, helping with this puppy rescue. They'll do that for a long time, if not for life. So it's not that they're loyal, uh, not loyal. It's that they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. The world is small. The idea of country, um, of state, or even city to a millennial isn't, the pride isn't there that we see in previous generations uh, because they have access to the whole world. So they like these movements that are influencing the whole world. So what I, what I coach a lot for a dental practice is when you're hiring someone, don't say, hey, you're, you're going to be a hygienist and you're going to scrape teeth all day. Um, no, hey, you have the opportunity to really influence someone's oral and even their whole health by uh, coming to work at our practice. And this is why we focus on those things. It's more than just cleaning teeth and shaping it to this bigger, larger than life, um, not unrealistic, but this this big long term focus and the practices that you see having some of these um, grandiose isn't the right word, but these these forward-looking broader statements on the why we're doing what we're doing. It's not just to get money from a patient to get their two cleanings a year that insurance uh, might cover. No, it's where we're really caring about their health and how that plays in their life and how that gives them a more full life. Um, 
and uh, I was we were just at SCN Speaking Consulting Network, and Sean Pierce um, was uh, he's a speaker from Canada, and, and he gave this awesome presentation, and he talked about how we so often dismiss the value. Uh, you know, a certain procedure might have on someone's life. And he was specifically talking about implants for someone that was near the end of their life. But what was so important to this individual was to, uh, you know, eat a steak again. And I'll let you guys watch. It's online. You can watch it. But the reason why this was so important was beyond anything that uh, any any treatment planner uh, or treatment plan coordinator could ever imagine because it had this uh, really important, intimate uh, value to this this woman. But the plan was never offered until she went to a different dentist. So all that to say, uh, when talking to a millennial, trying to interview them, give them a big picture, what the value that they're adding beyond just a procedure or a task. I love it. I love it. And then what about conflict management? You know, that's another one. Do do these generations manage conflict differently, the same, or is it just do we see it differently? What are your thoughts? Oh, millennials going to pull out their phone and go to social media uh, and complain. That's not always the case, but it's often the case. And it's a challenge. Um, It's a challenge. And it's something you can't necessarily stop. But millennials are open to dialogue. Um, They're often going to come off, not always, but as argumentative, mainly because they're passionate. And, And the reality is they have a lot of knowledge. Unlike previous generations, they have more access to information to make their arguments and make their cases and data sources that when they come to argue with you, they're going to come ready to go. Um, And that can be very off-putting, especially to a boomer who demands respect. And that type of abrasive conversation is not not at all one that they think is all right in the workplace. Uh, One of the books I recommend more than anything uh, when it comes to crucial conversations, it's not about generations, but it it's about having these difficult, challenging conflict conversations. Uh, It's called Crucial Conversations. And I don't know the author. Uh, I'm trying to see if I have it lying around here. I don't, but it's one of my favorite books, Uh, Crucial Conversations. And it really talks about finding that common ground and being able to navigate, whether it's a generational issue that they're just not seeing eye to eye or um, cultural, whatever it might be. Highly recommend that book. It can help you navigate uh, those difficult talks uh, far more than even understanding the generations. Yeah. Now, um, and be patient with me while I describe this. Like my, I graduated in 1988, so I'll give you some perspective. And so my wife and I often talk about this. We're one of the few generations that'll remember life before computers and then after computers and phones. And my frustration, even with my own kids, is like, look up, like look instead of looking down. And and so help me with my frustration. Like, you know, I'm like, those aren't friends. Those are acquaintances, mm-hmm. you know, and all that kind of stuff. And my kids are like, you don't understand. And I'm like, I'm trying to, but what could you help us with when it comes to these things? I actually think my life would be better if I threw my phone away, but that's my own opinion. What do I not understand about the next generation, how they communicate digitally? I think most of our lives would be better if we threw our phones away, honestly. Uh, the world worked fine before phones. However, mm-hmm. there is a lot more convenience that, uh, that is added. One of the big differences that we see in generations is the fact of this digital community. Uh, you might have had your friends on the block that you played with. Uh, I even had this, and I'm, I'm right in the middle of the millennial generation, but my, my friends on the block, we, we were late to get phones, and we had flip phones for a little while uh, because we would just knock on each other's door. It was a different environment. It was that kind of cul-de-sac suburban feel. Um, and that is what Gen Xers, baby boomers, and, and the older millennials uh, 
feel as community that you often find that in other social clubs, whether that's Rotary, churches, uh, other religious communities, youth groups, um, soccer teams, you know, you name it, things that are local in, in your community. Millennials, especially the, the younger millennials and Gen Z, you don't see that as much. You see all of that on uh, social media and even Facebook is now old. Uh, but, but you see that on TikTok and all of that. It, it's this mix between entertainment value and also social proof and social value. Because now for the first time, you have a tangible way to see someone's popularity and if it's valuable or not. And that's something that requires nurturing. I mean, if you want those likes and if you want new followers and if you want that interaction, you have to nurture that relationship. And so often you find millennials, um, and I would say even even younger than uh, the bulk of millennials. Millennials is about a 20-year span on average. Uh, most anthropologists will say 80 to, two, uh, 80 to 2,000. They'll subdivide that into a couple categories. But um, you'll see those specifically born in the 90s and even early 2000s really wanting to cultivate that because that is their identity. So how do you get your, your kids or family members to look up from phones? Um, I, I, I don't have the answer. I can't crack that code. I think one of the things that you can do is help them realize that their value is beyond uh, social media, is beyond what their, their friends say digitally. But the reality is that is the world that they live in. So uh, I, there is some coming in between that you have to figure out how can you still allow them to feel that they're being valued and respected by their peers, but also bridge that into the real world uh, where people are interacting face-to-face and go have a barbecue out back on the grill and things like that. Um, you look at you look at the generations and they swing back and forth. And the book shows that very clearly. I, I have a prediction that this next generation, those born, uh, let's call it you know 2010 or a little later, up through about 2030, 2040, we're going to see them being very detached from technology. Now, I don't know this for sure, but based on you know looking at the trends, uh, because their parents, the millennial parents, are going to have realized that they missed out because their noses were on the phone. So um, again, don't know if that's going to happen, but based on the trends, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we see uh, you know technology get pulled back a little bit and put uh, in a, a couple more boundaries and guardrails around it. Oh, brother, I am going to help you make that make. I already like you a lot. I can tell just, uh, first of all, you're very insightful. This is awesome. And I, if what you're saying, even a glimpse of it, we see that would be so refreshing. And there's hope that uh, that can possibly have it. I also am noticing, is that Woodford on the shelf behind you? Is, are you a Woodford fan? <laughs> I've got some Woodford. I've got some Blantons back there. Oh yep. my gosh. You and I are going to be great great friends in the future. I already know. So um, now I want to transition this because obviously you've got an incredible career in, um, you know, in building businesses, being an entrepreneur. I want to ask you, you know, I want to ask you specifically about the purchase of SCM, but more and more on business in general, you know, you're probably taking a look at a lot of businesses. What Mm -hmm. as an investor, as an entrepreneur, what are the businesses that most excite you right now? And what do you think business will look like? And it's anyone's guess in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I think um, I'll actually go to the book for this a little bit. Um, what we see now happening with startups is what we saw in the industrial revolution. You have your big steel companies, which are the, and your big manufacturing companies, which are equivalent to your modern day Googles, Amazons, Facebooks. Um, and you have a bunch of people flock to work for them. 
and people get tired of corporate America and they swing back and go to the startups. We've kept a healthy balance recently in the last you know decade or two. I think you're going to continually see more and more startups pop up. I think remote work is here to stay and hybrid work is here to stay, which is going to make the services industry. I own several um, coffee shops and wine bars. Um, that's going to make the service industry, even dentistry, extremely challenging and unique. How do you let someone work remote? What does that look like? Uh, because people still need to go and, and have these jobs. So um, those are some of the changes. As an investor, I'm seeing tons of fintech and health tech. Um, I'm part of a, a VC firm and do angel investing. Uh, fintech is financial technology. I see that from automating retirement programs to uh, new ways to bank. Uh, you see a lot of cryptocurrency. We not even going to hash that on this conversation. Um, I'll leave that there. And then you see a lot of health tech, a lot of people trying to innovate, whether that's uh, streamlining healthcare with something like teledentistry or telehealth or um, making healthcare more accessible for diagnosing at home um, with the supervision of a doctor. They have these apps now where you can do your eye appointment at home. You set your phone 20 feet away and it can measure your 20 feet away and uh, you have little uh, optometrists pop up and you know do that. So you're, you're seeing some of those types of things as well as trying to figure out uh, the next wave of insurance. You're seeing um, in dental in particular, you're seeing things like Dental HQ with membership plans um, pop up and uh, some of that health tech. So you're seeing uh, fintech and health tech a lot is what, what's coming across uh, my desk. A lot of automation and robot uh, robotics. I'm not super into that personally because I don't know that world. Not that there's anything wrong with it. That's just beyond uh, my my sphere of expertise. And and so I try to to stay investing in in the areas that I I'm most familiar with. Yeah. And I want you to go back to the, you said the, re, the remote thing. We see that more now than ever. Was it, was it enhanced by the disruption of COVID? I'm, I'm noticing that in every conversation, it isn't so much the remote, it's the freedom aspect of things. I mean, would you agree or disagree with that? It's completely the freedom. I think you, you saw a couple things happen during COVID. One, people that said you cannot work remote were essentially proven wrong in most corporate uh, jobs. It, it, you you can work remote and the same amount of work or close to the same amount of work was done um, or companies didn't quite fall apart like everyone thought they might if everyone was working at home. I think the second thing you see uh, is a high level of family engagement or social and friend engagement during uh, those two, you know, one depending on where you were, uh, a couple months to two years and, and even still in some areas. And so I think you, you see this much higher drive for uh, social interactions, which interestingly mirrors what we saw with the silent generation almost 60, 70 years ago. Um, and so again, history does repeat itself um, uh, often. And so I think what we're going to see with the remote is, again, flexibility. I think if we could offer that same level of flexibility where you come freely in and out of an office place, bring your kids, uh, bring your dogs out. And now I'm not recommending this, by the way, for a workplace. But I think if you saw that happen, people wouldn't actually be as uh, prone to wanting to work remote as uh, just having that, that pure flexibility that really COVID gifted many people. Um, it, it was uh, not a lot of great things came out of COVID, but that was one that I think uh, really enlightened a lot of people was the flexibility and the ability to, to be more mobile and remote. Yeah, so well said, Ryan. So well said. Now I got to ask you, you purchased a very cool company, SCN. It's awesome. Like I, tell us that story and the why and your vision going forward. So if somebody doesn't know what SCN, can you explain what it is and then why you did it and the vision for the future? 
Yeah. So Speaking Consulting Network, SEN, uh, was originally founded in the mid-90s by Linda Miles, who is sort of the uh, you know, the mother of, uh, practice management consulting in, in dentistry in particular. I mean, she really pioneered a lot of, uh, the practice management consulting that even still is true today. And many different people came and obviously we're doing it as well, but she, uh, she really was instrumental in that. And as she would tell in her story, after doing that for 10 or 15 years, so many people came and said, Hey, how do I do what you're doing? How do I consult? How do I speak? How do I do seminars? So in the mid nineties, she started speaking consulting network to train speakers and consultants. It started with a handful of people meeting in a hotel conference room to, uh, now SCN attracts hundreds of people a year in, uh, you know, large ballrooms and, uh, convention centers. And that's sort of, uh, a little bit of the 30 year history, just touching on it. But SCN is really for Anyone that wants to be a dental speaker, dental consultant, influencer, podcasters um, are becoming a big part, writers, both authors, bloggers, things like that in dentistry, social media influencers are becoming a part of SCN. So really, uh, this is uh, this is an organization that is full of some of dentistry's most influential um individuals, mainly on the practice management side, but the clinical side is actually growing quickly as well. And, and there's some cool things coming down the pike uh, from the clinical perspective. So it's going to be this well-rounded organization. Um, and SCN has deep roots with a lot of the national meetings and local and state meetings, uh, some of the big organizations, publications. Uh, but really all of that, that's kind of the history and what the biography says, right? But uh, in 2015, I think it was, I stepped foot at SCN for the first time, I was a, a sponsoring partner. I was a company that was uh, there to to connect with influencers and KOLs to get our, our message out, our product out. And I have been a part of many organizations in many industries, both in dentistry and outside. And there was just something weird about this, a good kind of weird, but it was pretty weird. Um, it, it was, you have people, consultants that are, are fighting for the same clients and speakers that are fighting for the same stages that weren't fighting at all, but were giving. I mean, they were just giving out all the secrets on how to get booked mm -hmm. and paid to speak, how to get consulting gigs. And they were just helping each other. It's like, what in what world do competitors just tell you, give each other their playbooks? Um, and, and it was just fascinating. So I went back in ba several years and uh, tried different organizations, but again, both in dentistry and outside. There honestly has been nothing like this. So 2020, I sold a software startup and I was really trying to figure out what, what is it that I want to do. Um, and so I, I bought a couple more wine bars because uh, that's something I'm passionate about. I'm a sommelier uh, as a little aside, as a hobby. And uh, so I did that and, and love doing those still. But then uh, I started to get an inkling that Lois Banta was uh, considering uh, selling SCN or just trying to figure out kind of a transition plan. And so she and I started having some conversations and went out to their house in Grain Valley, Missouri, uh, with her and her husband, Rick. And we, we just hashed it out for two days and talked about the vision and the future and what it could be. And I think one of the things I'm most excited about is I get to inherit this culture and this spirit. Um, you know, Linda Miles, uh, Lois Banta and I sat down for a video shoot, um, and, and pieces of that will be revealed over the coming, uh, months. But we, we did release a, about a five-minute clip of it just talking about the legacy of this incredible organization and the heritage in this organization and where it's going to the future. And I think two things continually came up in that conversation, integrity and excellence. Um, and, and that's something that I've lived by in all of my different businesses, and I, I'm excited to carry that on. And um, I think bringing in the millennial point of view as well as some of my software startup background. I'm not a developer at all, um, but I, I know the teams and have worked with the teams that can do that as well as marketing. 
um, bringing SCN into a level that continually adds value to uh, into the industry as well as continually adds value to um, just the speakers and consultants that are trying to grow. A lot of dentists, uh, when they reach the end of their career or point, a turning point in their career, say, what do I do next? SCN is a great spot. Um, office managers, assistants, uh, hygienists, anyone in the office. And so uh, that's, that's what gets me really excited about SCN. Yeah, I can tell. And you use the word givers, like they are amazing givers. And you mentioned Linda Miles, if there was a speaker, you know, Hall of Fame, she would Mm -hmm. definitely be on it. And uh, that's pretty cool. And then Lois, gosh, another great giver. She took me to lunch when I was just getting started. I didn't have any money. She bought me lunch. She'll probably (laughs) do that. So like, uh, (laughs) it's awesome to be around such great people. I have no doubt you're going to create something very, very cool. So Ryan, I want people to, any last thoughts you have on this before we wrap it up on the cracking the millennial code? I think the biggest thing is it's continually evolving, right? As new generations are are growing up and and we're seeing them come of age, uh, we're seeing generational dynamics continually shift. I've even learned a lot since writing the book. It's been almost three years. It'll be three years uh, this fall when it was released. So there's things always evolving. I'm actually releasing a second edition with just a couple tweaks and enhancements uh, coming out uh, later this year. It'll be mostly the same book. So if you get it now, you're not missing out. Uh, But definitely come to my lectures when I ever I present this topic uh, because it it has the latest and greatest insights in it. Um, But yeah, it's an interesting study. I think most people that dive into it find it fairly, fairly fascinating. Yeah, not only fascinating, but very useful in this whole process. So I'm so grateful. So where do I find a, you know, if I want to follow you, find out more about what you're doing, where do I go? Where do I find out more? I'm pretty easy. I'm millennial. I'm pretty easy to find, right? Uh, just Google Ryan Vet uh, or go to RyanVet.com or my social media handles are all Ryan C. Vet. That's just V-E-T, just three letters. It's pretty simple. Uh, you can find me just about anywhere and I'd be happy to connect with anyone and answer questions and uh, you know, learn more about what interests you too. That's awesome. That's awesome, buddy. Thank you so much for being on. I have thoroughly enjoyed this and there's no doubt I want to have you back and cover a whole bunch of things. I'd actually love to do a bourbon show with you. Just like, uh, let's do it. <laughs> I'm not joking. Like, uh, I'm, I'm and I am not that. an authority. I, I you, we, we could do a sommelier bourbon like whole thing and that might be cool. What do you think? That would be fun. Let's yeah. Do it. We can do it in person. Come to one of my bars and we'll, we'll do it. All right, game on. I'll bring all my equipment. There you go. <laughs> I'll look like the clampets pulling into the parking lot, you know, <laughs> setting everything up. But, buddy, I have really, really appreciated this. So thank you. Stick around when we say goodbye to everybody else. But thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show podcast. If you enjoy today, which I know you did, do us a favor, hit the share button. Make sure you check out Ryan's book. It is awesome. Now, in full transparency, I just got it and just opened it up. But I have no doubt you'll love it and get some great, useful information. I'm going to highly encourage you to check out SCN. It is an awesome organization at any level. They are great givers and um, keep sending us suggestions for things you guys want to see. But until we see you guys next time or you hear from us next time, keep watching the best practices show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm gonna spend the rest of my professional life 
finding great information so that you can consume it and your friends can consume it so that you can create a better practice and a better life. So keep spreading the word and we will see you guys soon. Have a great day, everybody.